Give me a little handshake, I said, as I looked over my shoulder at the clown. A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. When Paul was writing his letter to the church at Philippi, I bet he had no idea how popular chapter 4 verse 13 would become. Have you ever heard of it? We see it everywhere and often quote it when our backs are against the wall. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's printed on mugs, blankets, necklaces, keychains, sweatshirts, t-shirts, wall clings, wall hangings, plaques, rocks, pens and pencils, dog tags, ID bracelets, leather bracelets, cuff bracelets, rubber bracelets, charm bracelets, and even silver boxing gloves or a sledgehammer pendant if you want it. I kid you not. Google it. It's everywhere. Is it true? Can we do all things? Will Christ give us strength for all things? When I was younger, I wanted to be either a wide receiver or a middle linebacker in the NFL. Basically, I wanted a position where I would gain lots of glory on the field. Could I claim Philippians 4.13 for that? Would I really be able to do all things through Christ who gives me strength? Or is there some other meaning connected to this verse? Is there some context we should know about? Let's check it out. Let's back up just a bit and see what Paul was talking about earlier in the chapter. He's writing a letter to the church that meets in Philippi. These are his friends. He's already told the people there to rejoice and to not be anxious. He's already told this group of believers that meets in Lydia's house to pray about everything. He's told them to think on things that are lovely and true and right and of good report and praiseworthy. Now, let's start reading chapter 4 at verse 9 and see what we learn. Paul writes, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Whoa, there's a bold statement. How many of us could say that? Hey, if you do everything I've taught you and emulate everything you've seen me do, I can tell you that you will experience a peace from God that will go with you. That's amazing. How can he say this? He's letting the readers know that he's not only telling them what to do, he's putting his teaching into practice, and he has found himself a peace from God as he's done so. This is going to be very important for us to remember when we get to verse 13. Let's go on. Paul writes, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. What's Paul talking about here? What does he mean, renewed your concern for me? When Paul wrote this letter, he was under house arrest in Rome, and as an imprisoned person, he was in need. He was always chained to a guard, and he couldn't leave the house to buy food or anything else he needed. That needed to be supplied by other people for him. The church at Philippi had sent Epaphroditus, who was one of them, with a bunch of supplies for him. And while he was there, Epaphroditus, this isn't funny, but while he was there, Epaphroditus got sick, like real sick, and almost died. And so then the church of Philippi was very concerned about him, but then he got better. And now was Paul was going to send Epaphroditus back with this letter that he was writing. It was like a thank you note to them. 
And he's saying, hey, I know you've been concerned and you paired your concern with care. I appreciate all those things that you brought, that you sent with Epaphroditus. And then Paul goes on. He's like, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. Because I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul was really wanting to be careful that the church at Philippi wouldn't read this thank you letter as kind of like a, a, a veiled hint of, oh yeah, thanks so much for all you gave me because I sure needed a lot of stuff then and maybe now. No, it wasn't that at all. He says, I'm not hinting at all, by the way. I'm fine regardless. Lots or little, in plenty or in need, I'm content because I've learned the secret. What was the secret? And here it is. Verse 13, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. He has says, I can do everything. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned the secret of being content in any of these situations because I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. What is this? What is the secret? In verse 19 and 20, he expands on this even a little bit more. And he writes, My God will supply all your needs. He will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And then he says, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Christ can bring contentment no matter our circumstances. God will supply what we need through Christ. What is contentment anyway? The dictionary defines it as desiring no more than what one has, being satisfied. What's the enemy of contentment? I think it's comparison. I think it's also a self-focus. Look at our circumstances when our eyes are off of Christ. When our eyes are no longer on Christ, if we're looking at other people or if we're looking at our own circumstances, we will not find contentment. Instead, it's through Christ. Years ago, when I was in college, I was part of our college choir. We practiced throughout the year. We gave an occasional concert in a church now and then, and we performed, performed large concerts at Christmas and in the spring, and then once in a while, we'd go on a tour. One year, immediately following our spring semester, we went to California, and it was gorgeous. It was just lovely. We sang in places like Modesto and San Luis Obispo. I have no idea if I said that right. They call it SLO anyways, or SLOCAL or whatever. We'd give concerts at schools and churches, and we never stayed at a hotel. Instead, at the end of the evening, when our concert was all done, all the choir members would stand up and line up on stage and wait for our name to be called. When it was, our host for the evening would stand up and wave and smile, and off we would go by pairs or more sometimes to a stranger's house in a strange city to sleep in a strange bed and hope we'd be returned to the bus the next morning. One night, I remember waiting for my name to be read while watching people to my left and right as they found their surrogate parents for the evening. My husband, Kenny, and I were just dating at this time, and I remember watching him leave with about six to eight guys. I can't remember the exact number for sure, but I was like thinking, whoa, it's going to be crowded for them. And, and then my name was read, mine and my roommates, and off we went. We got in a car with a man and a woman and drove away. We drove and we drove and we drove. I don't know how long we were in the car, but it felt way longer than it probably was. 
We got to their house and we walked into the back door and the couple seemed nice enough. We sat down at their kitchen table and enjoyed some cookies they had made. And as we were visiting, all of a sudden I noticed, huh, where's the husband? He left. I don't know where he went. That was weird. He just kind of left. Then I thought, oh, maybe he took our luggage somewhere. But he hadn't. It was still sitting right by us at the kitchen table. The conversation started to lag and I was wondering, would it be rude to get up and ask where we were sleeping so we could get ready because it was kind of late. I decided against asking, but the woman must have read my mind because just then she pointed behind us and said, you're going to be staying in our living room um, right over there on the height bed. She also said there's one bathroom in her house and we should feel free to use it. But as long as we want, we could use it after she and her husband were done. So awesome. Perfect. She also told us at that point that it would probably be most comfortable if we slept with the front door open so that the breeze could come through the screen door. It was just pretty hot that night and they didn't have air conditioning. I felt a, a little bit weird sleeping in a strange place with the front door wide open as we slept on a height of bed in the wide open space of the living room, but I decided oh, it could be worse. I was right. She went on to say, if we heard gunshots in the night and any shouting, we needn't be alarmed because it was just the man across the street who did that. Did what exactly? Oh, she said he wakes up in the middle of the night and he shoots blanks in the air and yells obscenities and then he goes right back to bed, so... So, so like what? We waited nothing more, so sleep tight, so don't worry about it. Even after these instructions, she still didn't move from the kitchen table, so we didn't either. I again thought about excusing myself, and I was trying to think of a polite way to say it when I saw the door to the basement open just like an inch, and I saw a gloved hand reaching through. My heart was racing, but the woman saw it too, and she seemed nonplussed, eager almost. Well, it must be okay, I thought. Then the door swung wide open and standing before us was a clown. I changed my mind. Nothing about this was okay. He had full face makeup on, a wig, a clown uniform or costume or outfit or whatever you call that. He had colorful balloons hanging out of every pocket. He had a blue one hanging from his mouth. He blew it up and, and twisted it and made a dog and then did another, made a sword and then a flower and then a hat with a feather. He was making balloon sculptures faster than you could imagine, if, if you've ever stopped to imagine that for a minute. He thrust out his hand and mimed for me to shake it. I didn't want to, but I didn't know what else to do, so I casually lifted my hand and tentatively touched his. He heartily took it, held it firmly in both of his and shook it furiously. I felt some sharp object piercing me while I received a not-too-little shock. I jumped in my seat while the clown dropped my hand and then mimed a laugh with his two hands placed on his belly and his mouth wide open. You can picture it like, uh, it's a little, little, little hard to explain the mime. He had a flower in his lapel, and he pointed from it to me, and then from me to it, and, and he took big steps up and down, lifting his knees from the flower to me, from me to the flower. And he was inviting me to smell it. And I didn't want to smell it. I'd seen this one before and nope, I didn't want to get squirted in my face, but I was the guest. And his wife seemed eager for me to find out what was going to happen next because she was sitting at the edge of her seat. I braced myself, stood up, leaned in for the smell and quickly backed away with water dripping down my face. As I sat back down in the chair, the whoopee cushion worked perfectly. And the clown mimed his laugh, and the wife laughed, and this continued on for a while. And probably, much like our ride to the house, felt way longer than it actually was. Finally, the wife said, 
because of course the clone couldn't say anything at this point, well, I think we should call it a night. I couldn't stand up <laughs> fast enough. My roommate and I took the three steps into the living room and then we sat on the edge of the hide bed while the clown went into the bathroom. We waited quite a while because it takes quite a while to wash off a clown face. Takes even longer to wash it out of my mind. Still haven't. <laughs> Eventually, the wife said they were done and it was our turn. I asked my roommate if she cared if I went first and she didn't. And so pretty soon, I actually did care. Because as I walked into the bathroom, I realized there were two doors leading into it. The one we saw and the one I entered in. And another across from me in the bathroom that was wide open. As I walked over to close it, I realized it actually opened into another room. As I took one step toward it to reach in, I realized it was their bedroom. So I turned around and I backed into their room. I felt for the doorknob. Once I found it, I started walking forward again, pulling it shut as I went. Good night, said the clown. <laughs> Not kidding. I got ready quickly, brushed my teeth, turned off the lights in the living room, then crawled to the height of bed. I was afraid somebody might be looking in the screen door. And I was like, oh, right, the screen door, crap. I crawled out of my bed, back to the screen door to make sure it was locked. I crawled back to my bed and lay on my back with my eyes wide open. Eventually, I fell asleep. I know this not because I was so relaxed, but because I was able to be rudely awakened in the middle of the night to, yes, gunshots and obscenities. I stayed awake for the last couple hours and then shut my alarm off in about two seconds when it, got up, when it went off. We got up and got ready in super fast record time. As we ate our cereal, the man, who had been the clown, handed us a bag of balloons to take with us so we could be, quote, the life of the party. <laughs> On the ride to the parking lot where we were to meet our bus, the man presented me with what looked like a silver ring, but you guessed it, on the inside of the ring in the palm of my hand was a buzzer. Heard you have a boyfriend on the trip, he said. I have an idea. When you get to the bus, go up to him and say, hey, give me a little handshake and see what happens. I smiled and said, yeah. But in my head, I was frowning and saying, no. We pulled up to the parking lot, unloaded our luggage, and put it underneath the bus. My host was following me around like a toddler or a, a stray dog or something. Not like he was a stray dog or a toddler, but just like that, just close like that. And I knew what I, it took. I knew what I would have to do to get him to back off. He was waiting for it. So I walked up to Kenny, smiled an over-eager wide smile, and said, hey, give me a little handshake, as I looked over my shoulder at the clown. The clown stood forward on his feet with an anticipation that belied his age, and Kenny looked puzzled for a second, then stiffly reached out his hand. Nice to see you again, he asked, as I shocked his hand, and he jumped and the man laughed, and everyone stood by watching. Then this clown, disguised as a normal man, walked to his car announcing, Hey, and don't worry, she's got balloons for everyone. And he got in his car and drove away. A few minutes later, we were in the bus. By a few minutes, I mean it took about four seconds to run into that bus and find a seat. Kenny sat down next to me and just looked at him and was like, So, how was your homestay? He began, it was amazing. Our house was in the mountains. We drove up a beautiful road with gorgeous scenery. The drive went by way too fast. And then we pulled up to a really pretty modern, like mountain house that was kind of built into the mountain. It was multi-level. It had windows, floor to ceiling everywhere. 
And then that night we had an amazing dinner. They did steaks on the grill with some baked homegrown artichoke dish thing that was delicious. And then this morning for breakfast, they had this bowl of strawberries that had the biggest strawberries you've ever seen. Because where their house was, it was also kind of in the middle of some strawberry agricultural area. It was amazing. Wow. I said, he went on, I didn't sleep well last night though. I'm so tired. I'm like, oh, really? Why is that? Well, because they also had this huge game room and we stayed up so late playing like foosball and air hockey and ping pong and darts and stuff. Oh, okay. So nothing to do with gunshots then. So isn't life like this though? Remember how we started our conversation today? Paul learning to be content no matter what the circumstances I don't know what your life is like right now. Maybe you are in the midst of a mountaintop experience. Things are great. The strawberries are delicious and fresh, and the steak, it's right off the grill, and it's done to perfection. You might be tired, tired of having so much fun, tired of your vacations. <laughs> Enjoy. But Paul would want to say, don't rely on this, though. Don't rely on this mountaintop to give you a sense of contentment of well-being, stability, peace, or satisfaction. Don't rely on that for, the, for your satisfaction. That's the secret. That's what you have to learn in the midst of great times. Or maybe instead, your life feels like a clown creeping up from the basement who wants to buzz your hand and squirt you in the face. Paul tells us in Philippians that in those times in life, like when he was writing this letter, for example, and was in prison for doing absolutely nothing wrong. In fact, he was in prison for doing all the things right. He was teaching truth. Even then, even now, when Paul was wrongly imprisoned, he was content. He had no idea this letter he was writing to his friends back at the Church of Philippi that met in Lydia's home would make its way into the canon of Scripture and much later would make its way into our hands and our hearts as well. He had no idea how he would be used to inspire us to trust that in the midst of the lean circumstances, whether the lean circumstances be financial, emotional, relational, vocational, or whatever, that God would supply all of our needs too, according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Paul didn't know all this. He knew he was in lean times, but what he also knew was that Christ was the secret to his deep contentment. So whether he had much or whether he had little, he was recognizing that God was supplying all he needed through Christ. In plenty, we can thank God for his provision. In want, we thank God for his provision. We too can learn. I loved that Paul used that word. He learned to be content. Does it seem too hard? Does it seem too tall of an order to learn this? Can I encourage you with a verse? You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you.